0: Welcome back to the Motivational Intelligence Podcast, where we take you inside the minds of some of the world's most accomplished and extraordinary people. I'm Sean Johnson, and today we're taking you inside the minds of the leaders at one of the world's most prominent banks. This is an excerpt from John Casey's keynote to her friends at Citibank. In it, John shares how the most effective leaders think about developing people, the most valuable resource they focus on, and the true definition of success. It is edited for clarity and confidentiality, but... We're giving you some of the best parts uh, of this talk in this episode. So if you are a leader of people, this episode is for you. Please enjoy.
1: The Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at 2Logical. Two 2Logical Two is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. 2Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Pfizer, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized, and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs, or just want to say hey, head over to 2Logical.com.
2: As Elsie mentioned, my name is John Casey. I work for an organization called Too logical You know, that last uh, uh, go-round in Q&A talking about talent and the number two area that you would invest in, that's all Too logical is about identifying, developing, and retaining top talent and understanding what it is specifically and then how to do it. I love how Elsie set up. You guys are great at measuring the what because you have to, because in the end, that's the scoreboard. You're getting better at measuring the how. We're going to give you some more tools for that. And um, we're also going to talk about the why, because that's where the want to, that's where passion and self-belief start, the beginning of it all. So I'm very excited to to share with you uh, a couple of the the best practices, simple best practices of leadership and management. I've personally traveled to over six continents to deliver this type of messaging. And it's been embraced and instilled across industry, across teams. Uh, So I'm very excited uh, to get going. Um, I also want to ask you a couple questions before we get started about what you've been talking about this afternoon. And that is, your most valuable resource, your most valuable asset. Everybody in this room has something in common, first of all, and that is that you have chosen a career in finance, in banking. And by the way, everyone chooses their career. You've chosen well. If you think about finance, if you think about banking, it really is about service, whether it's individuals or companies. Finances are often the most complex or misunderstood or screwed up area of individuals' or organizations' lives. And you go and bring clarity. You bring best practices. It is a career of the highest calling. So congratulations, I hope you're proud for your career choice. And now, because you're a leader, you've chosen a career of developing, of growing other people. And that is of the highest calling. And if you think about it, every conversation you have with a client or a team member creates either positive or negative momentum. How do you consistently create positive momentum? How do you have conversations that bring out the best in others, help your people get out of their own way? because that might be the biggest impediment they have, some of their own flawed or limited thinking. So we're rarely taught how to be a great leader, although we've probably had one in our past. So I'm gonna ask you about that in a little bit. You know, I love this quote because this is a well-known international economist, banker, who's talking about what he thinks is the most important. So here are a couple questions to get us kicked off. Can we be better next week than we are this week? Yes, I hear a lot of yeses there. Why? Why can we be better next week than this week? Because we can learn. Yeah, we can try new things. We can make mistakes. By the way, what have you learned more from in your career? Mistakes or successes? I guess they're okay. I guess they're okay. All right, so we can be better next week than we are this week. Is this ability, we call it unlimited potential at Too logical is this ability to access and leverage our unlimited potential, is it born to all or just a select few of us? Oh, so it's born to all, including everybody on your team. Why doesn't everybody access it though? What's the missing ingredient? What's that? Yeah, sometimes unconsciousness.
1: Self-limitation.
2: Self-limits. That's what's stopping people. What's the antidote, the cure? Passion, belief, leadership. Exactly. So we can get better. Everyone is born with unlimited potential. It takes a catalyst, and that's probably leadership, uh, to to pull that out. I want to ask you a question about um, your people. And uh, well, first of all, a simple series of questions, more rhetorical than anything. Who do you do your best coaching on your team? Who do you do your best coaching and mentoring with and why? Think about that individual, because it's probably safe to say we don't coach and mentor everybody the same. But who do we do our best with? Who do we do our best with and why? Often, the answer is the one that thinks the most like me. The easy one, the peak performer. (coughs) Maybe that's who we're giving our best to. And maybe others we've just kind of ah. But if you think about it, what employee, what client, what project will cause us as leaders to be better? It's probably the employee that's the least like us. It's probably an employee from a different generation or a different background or a different culture. Because we have to be innovative. We have to be creative in our leadership with them. And sadly, far too many managers look at that person they don't understand and they put them in a box. Oh, they're just a blank or they can only do blank. And you know, it's funny, if we have picked somebody that we do our best coaching and mentoring with, probably unconsciously, I bet we're more patient I bet we give them more opportunities. I bet we're quicker to forgive. And that one we can't figure out, that one that frustrates us, we probably have less patience and less forgiveness, and we probably provide less opportunity. So maybe what we've thought about that difficult employee, that difficult project, or that difficult client, maybe that's wrong. By the way, how many parents do we have in the room? How many of you have kids? That's a lot of hands. You know, I have two. They're both boys. They're both teenagers. They're both from the same gene pool. They're completely different. and I can't figure one of them out. I have gotten on a first name basis with all the vice principals at all of the schools he's ever been to. See my first son is a wonderful man. He's 17, but he's a, he's a man. He he's mature, he cares, he hugs me and says I love you every day I see him. He 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 thinks ahead, he cleans, he structures, he cares about others. He's the easy one. It's my second son that is actually making me a better dad because I can't figure him out, and I'm trying, and I'm being innovative, and I'm being creative, and I have a bond with him, because I'm a second son of a second son of a second son. You know, when he was five years old, I was trying to explain to him, I said, you and I, Patrick, have a bond that Jackson and I will never have. We're both second sons. We both had older brothers. And you know, remember Papa? Remember him? My, My dad passed away. Few years ago. I said he was a second son. You never know his dad, but his dad was a second son. Second son of a second son of a second son. You know what that means? We get no land. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized I'm trying to explain primogeniture to a five year old. But needless to say, what can bring the best out of us may not be what we think. So Next question, show of hands on this one. How many of you have ever gone above and beyond? You put forth extra effort, discretionary effort, to help someone that you worked with but didn't report to. Show of hands, how many have given discretionary effort, gone above and beyond, for somebody that you didn't report to and expected nothing in return. That is almost all the hands. Why? What caused that? We're gonna go deeper into that question right there because there's gold in that answer. What caused you in your career to do something you didn't have to? And the more you think about it, the more the answers will come. So as I said, my name is John Casey. There's my email address. I'm going to introduce you to the workbook in just a second where my contact information is. So, And this is going to be a very interactive section. I love how the fact we got the microphones at every table. And uh, continuing with the thanks, uh, Navid and Kristen and Elsie, thank you for the hand of faith that you've extended to two logical and uh, uh, Pedro and Mauricio and Sebastian and Esther, country heads, your colleagues. Uh, I spent time on the phone. Thank you for their time. Thank you for your time and your insight helping me prepare prepare for the program. Um, uh, A quick bio on me. I'm the uh, executive vice president, uh, director of corporate development at 2Logical. My career didn't have a very glorious start uh, first of all, I was the first member of my family to go to college, to, to go to university, because all my grandparents were immigrants to the United States, uh, and my parents didn't go to college, and my older brother didn't go, and, and I was the first to go, and, and it wasn't because I was a stellar student. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I guess I'm not afraid to say, I, I graduated uh, in the top 75% of my high school class, I realized, about 10 years ago, that sounds a lot better than the bottom (laughs) quartile. You know, it's pretty much the exact same thing. But I just lie, I graduated in the top 75% of my my class. Um, (laughs) You know, the only reason I got the university is because I could chase a football. Uh, And and for for most of you, you know what that means, it's a round thing. (laughs) Uh, It's not an oblong thing, uh, like they call it in the U.S. or in Australia. Um, So I'm a footballer, and I went to university to, to play football. But when I went, I became a student. And I realized why I did so poorly in high school. I was missing the three most important plans of being a student. I did not know how to take notes in class. I did not know how to prepare and study for a test. And I did not know how to write a paper. So there wasn't really anything wrong with me, there were just some things that were missing. And once I figured out those three plans, I did study abroad, I did live in Europe, and I did graduate with honors from university. And I became a lifelong student. So now I'm charging out into the work world. I'm gonna get my first real job, and I couldn't believe it. One of the first jobs I interviewed for, I got. And now I'm an entry-level sales guy. And you know what, the first three, four weeks was fun because there's a honeymoon period every time we start a new job or start working at a new company. And they're nice and it's a little easier than it's gonna be eventually. But then somewhere, somebody throws a switch and everybody starts talking to me differently and I start saying, you gotta do this better, you gotta do this faster, and you gotta do more of it, and you gotta work longer, and you gotta get here earlier, and you gotta do some stuff we didn't tell you about at the beginning. That happened after about three weeks of that first job. I'm 22 years old. That freaked me out. Here's what I learned at 22, my first real job. You can say anything you want on your last day of work. (laughs) The important lesson here is plan that it's your last day of work and don't be surprised. So I was surprised, so I lost that job. So the next job I start, I learned that lesson. So uh, when they flipped the switch and the pressure came, I didn't freak out like I did before, but I didn't like it. So I quit. I, I didn't actually quit the job. I just quit mentally. And I kept going to work. I bet we've all met an employee who's quit but stayed. Boy, they can infect others, can't they? Yeah, guess what they're gonna do when a new employee joins? They're gonna be the informal onboarding system. (laughs) Think about it. That was me. All right, I'll fast forward the story. I'm now 25. I'm starting my fifth real job. And now I'm bitter, and I am envious, wondering why younger people are going higher than me. This fifth job was just like all the others. It was was another entry-level sales job. What was different was the boss. I had never met a man like Mark Colosi. Now, he was only a year and a half older than me physically, but he was about 30 years older than me mentally. You know, he and one of his brothers and another friend from school founded a telecommunications company in Rochester, New York, called ACC Long Distance. I was about the 20th employee. And you know, I'd never met a man with a bigger personal library than Mark. As a matter of fact, his office was filled with books and tapes. They were all primarily about one topic, personal development, growth. He let me borrow these books and audio tapes. And we would talk for hours after work about the strategies and principles of success and how this person or this company came out of nowhere and seemed to build a life filled with abundance. He peeled back the mystery. We talked about how. We talked about why. And I'll never forget those conversations. They really changed the trajectory of my career. And every once in a while, Mark would go into talking about his goals, his dreams. And he said to me one day, I'm working there about maybe six, seven weeks, he goes, Johnny, we had one office, Rochester, New York. He goes, Johnny, you know what we're doing next? Buffalo. Open up an office in Buffalo, then Syracuse, then Binghamton, then Albany. These are all cities in upstate New York. And he goes, that'll probably take about 15 months. And he goes, after that. We go to the street. He looks at me and he says, John, you know what an IPO is? And I said, yeah. I was not an economics or business major. I had no idea, really, what an IPO was. He goes, great, you know the difference between a public and a private corporation? I go, sure. I didn't want to embarrass myself, expose myself, so I lied. So he never taught me. He goes, John, we need to raise millions. We're going to have an IPO on NASDAQ probably in the next year and a half, 18 months. And he goes, by the way, we're a private company. I'm glad you know the difference. He goes, you know, uh, there's no market for our stock right now. It doesn't mean we don't have it. As a matter of fact, we do have stock. By the way, our current strike price is $0.10. Cents. Would you like some? I go, what do you mean? He goes, you know, we can have just a little bit of pay taken out, put into our stock. It's a private company. May not be worth anything, but might be worth something. So, you know, we all hear things through our own filter. So my filter was very primitive. And I didn't think he was paying me enough in the first place. And I really thought he was asking for some money back. So under those conditions, I said no. Don't forget the strike price. So I'm there, he's already told me the story. So I'm there probably about 18 months. And we have an IPO. And the opening share price was $7. I can do that math. I thought the window would close. Didn't even get any at seven. Didn't even ask for options. Didn't know what they were. Within the first year, stock went to 50, split again. Over the next three, four years, it goes to 50 again and splits. And I sat there and watched the AT&T executives come in and buy the firm. And when AT&T closed the deal to buy ACC long distance, what AT&T paid, adjusted for stock splits, was $168 a share. And I watched multimillionaires get minted. And that hurt, because I was in the right place at the right time, but I was not the right guy. And we're going to talk more about really what causes success. Is it luck, timing, or circumstance? Or is it cause and effect? I developed a saying at that stage in my life. And I repeat this saying to myself every morning. Win or learn. And I look in the mirror every morning. I say, today I win or learn. Today I win or learn. I know a whole lot more about investing. I know. I was okay with losing the millions because I developed a career of hiring and training people, of growing people, of opening new markets. And I loved it. Didn't necessarily like working at AT AT&T, though, the phone company. The old motto was, we don't care. We don't have to. They don't have a choice. (laughs) So now it's about 1992. And my old friend and mentor, Mark Colosi, calls me up and says, hey, John, I'm starting my uh, next venture. It's called Eagle Productivity Solutions. We're a training and seminar company. That's my love and passion now after telecom. You want to come and join me? And I said, yes, I do. What's my stock program look like? <laughs> and I amassed hundreds of thousands of shares in Eagle Productivity Solutions. And I got to work with my mentor again. And it was in 1992 that I got a chance to meet his mentor. The guy who had been coaching him throughout the 80s, that was behind the scenes. And what Joe Gianni was teaching Mark, Mark was teaching me. And I got a chance to meet Joe, Mark's mentor, in 1992. And then I built a relationship with Joe, and then, you know, Mark always had a goal to retire before he was 45, so he retired in 1999 at the age of 43 because he hit his goals. So I stayed at Eagle for a few more years. I loved training and developing folks. Um, and I was a vice president and a big owner. Um, but I didn't feel the, the passion, uh, the desire. Uh, in about 2002, Joe Gianni, Mark's mentor, called me up and said, hey, Mark and I have been discussing your next career move. Would you like to come and work at 2Logical? And uh, after some talk, we, uh, we made an agreement. Um, hey, Joe Gianni, please stand up. Our present CEO my mentor, uh, our founder, (laughs) he's not going to miss this. He's not going to miss this. So thank you again, Joe, as always. Um, So powerful conversation about how to become the best. And it's going to be simple and straightforward. And I want to start with a quote from a cultural anthropologist, because we're going to talk a lot about culture. Whether it's Apple or Alibaba, they all start with just a couple of people on the same game page. Not only at the mindset or skill set level, but also at the activity or process level. And they think alike, they, they share a mindset, they, they share a focus. And then they make something happen. And it's magical. And whether it's a small group, it's city that develops a new program. Or maybe it's a small group at city that finds a new way to engage clients and become very intimate with their business and to get that trust that's needed to take your guidance. So everybody's got one of these on the table, I hope. There's a, a, a number put out. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. We packed a lot in here, we're not gonna get to it all, but it's really simple and self-explanatory, so hopefully you can take some time and energy as you go through it. Um, You know, we know that the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory, so if you get any great ideas in the program about growing people, developing, building relationships, growing, retaining, identifying talent, improving voice of the employee scores and voice of the client scores, By the way, here's another question for you. What do you think comes first? Improving voice of the employee scores or improving voice of the client scores? Employees, huh? Good, good. You know, I like having a pen and pad handy. Because I think the biggest challenge with innovation is not that we don't get any ideas. I think we get ideas, but at the wrong time. Do most of your good ideas come at the wrong time? Like right in the middle of something else? So we must capture them. And we must get our people to capture theirs so when we're together, we can share them. So there's a place to take notes. Um, We're gonna do some discussions, there's gonna be exercises for you to do, Uh, that comes next. And then there's some reinforcement at the back, including my favorite article on leadership on the planet, I'll get to that in a little bit. So the question, what is success, or what is being the best, has really been pondered for millennia. The greatest minds in history across culture have asked this question. Now there's some long and complex answers. As a matter of fact, the poet Ralph Waldo Emerson said, success is to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and earn the appreciation of honest critics, to endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know that even one life is breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. Wow, don't ask me to do a toast at a wedding. You know, we like to simplify things just like you do at Too Logical. Here's what we like to define success as. Achieving whatever you want to be, do, and have. And again, you have my congratulations because you've exceeded this over the last few years in a difficult, uncertain time. You know, one of the things I like to do with my kids is sit down with them a few times a year and talk about goals, and our first conversation every year happens in the first week in January, and my kids make a be, do, have list. And then we talk about those things throughout the year. Another thing I like to do with my children is find out what's going on. So at a very early age, Me and my wife started talking to our children this way. At the dinner table, we play a little game called high-low, where everybody gets a turn, and we go around the table, and we talk about the high point of the day and the low point of the day. And we sit there for 40 minutes, 50 minutes, just the four of us, and we have real conversations. And now, I can be in some of my favorite places in the world, like uh, Kuala Lumpur, and and I can call up my kids, and of course, it's a 12-hour time zone difference, so I gotta time it right, but I say, tell me about your day, and we have a conversation. You know, it's funny, you really find out what's important when you play high-low. And uh, for an example, uh, Patrick, that's my one who was making me a better dad, a number of months ago, I said, And I'd already gotten a phone call earlier in the day, and I said, Patty, tell me about your day. He goes, Dad, 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 I made Catherine laugh. That's the girl he's sweet on. That's the girl he says, she's my girlfriend. She just doesn't know it yet. (laughs) like the way he's thinking. He says, I made Catherine laugh. I go, great. Was it a nice belly laugh? Was it nicely timed? He goes, yeah, Dad. She looked right at me, smiled, and laughed. And I go, okay, what was the other part of your day? He goes, well, I was sent down to the principal's office again for speaking out in class. I said, "Uh, were these two things related? He said, yes, they happened right after each other. (laughs) And then I looked him in the eye and I said, was it worth it? And he said, you bet. Now his brother would have never done anything like that because he would be afraid of punishment. This other one is not. He needs to be led and managed differently. Because we don't coach and mentor everybody the same. So you think about success very clear and specifically. So let's talk about the best. Let's talk about the best. When you think about your best employee, the one you'd like to clone, when you think about the people that you admire or respect, what are their qualities? You know, if you take a second on page three, because I'm going to ask you for some feedback. Write just down two or three, two or three qualities you'd like to interweave into the culture of your teams. What are two or three success qualities, qualities of the best you'd like to see in everybody? What do you got? Understanding. Understanding, knowing why, hopefully, they understand why we're asking them to do what they do. I love it, understanding, awareness. Who's got another one? Grab the microphone. Shout it out.
1: Passion.
2: empathy, Passion. Empathy. 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 Wonderful. What else? Focus, laser focus. Yes, resilience. Passion, positivity, optimism. Curiosity. Curiosity. <laughs> yes. Helping
1: others. Ownership.
2: Responsibility, ownership. Helping others. Helping others. Service. Wow, what a great list. By the way, I don't know, per- perhaps you've got a list of the, the, the slides ahead of time. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I have asked this question on six continents. The answers are the same. Everywhere I've gone. But you know what's amazing? When we ask this question, nobody men- mentions you know, some of the usual suspects, like um, they got a really high IQ. Oh, they got several university degrees. Or nobody actually mentions a skill. Everything you mentioned, by the way, was attitude. Everything you mentioned was attitude. And what I've always understood is attitude is a choice. And we can pick what we think. And by the way, all an attitude is, is a habit of thinking. And we pick it. We choose what we think time and time again. I'll tell you why we ask this question with every group, every client we ever engage. Because we want to let them know they already know what's required to be the best. And this also, this question, was how our company was founded. So Joe, our present CEO, the founder of 2Logical, always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but he realized after university he had to get a mentor and he had to learn the nuts and bolts of leadership and management from somebody that was in the trenches and great at what they did. So he did that for a number of years, has a great mentor. He still works with Randy. And um, so Joe's now ready to start what had always become his true passion, a development company. So he's getting ready to start Too logical First thing he does is goes through his Rolodex. I guess I'm dating myself, and some of you actually remember what a Rolodex was. And he looks at all the business cards of all the executives and all the C-suite people he'd met throughout his journey. And he started inviting them to a two-day focus group because he wanted to talk about developing talent. So he's got, you know, almost a a couple of dozen folks in a room for a couple days with him talking about developing people. And he, uh, well, he hits a roadblock about an hour into the program. One of the guys in the room, he was a senior vice president of sales and marketing for a Fortune 10 company. And he goes, Joe, I understand what you're doing and I applaud your due diligence. But I have to tell you right from the outset, I don't think training really works. I think people are who they are, and you just got to get better at picking them. So this whole thing about developing people is kind of getting off the rails. And he goes, I don't have empirical data on this, but I have 30 years of experience in the trenches. And here's what I've seen time and time again. Um, You know, we have these wonderful training programs that look like they're gonna close the gap. So we approve them, we put everybody through them. Here's what I usually see coming out the other side. Only about 2 or 3 percent of the people we put through these programs adopt all the strategies that are being taught, go out and use them, and get better, bigger results. But it's very tiny, 2, 3 percent. Some of the heads in the room, not in agreement. He goes, the next batch of participants, maybe 20, 25 percent, they try an idea or two. We may see a spike in their results, but then they seem to backslide. They go back to who they were. There's no long-term change. And more heads are nodding in agreement. And then he goes on to say, the biggest bunch, 70, 75% of the people we put through these training programs, we don't see any positive impact on results at all. We might see an improvement in morale because we take them out of the day-to-day grind, but we see no positive impact on results. This has led me to believe that training doesn't work. And now everybody's in agreement, and Joe's goal of this focus group is completely off the rails. So he looks at the man and he says, OK, you did say it impacted 2 or 3% of your staff. Who are those people? And he says, well, those would be our best employees. So Joe thought, wow, so training only makes your best employees better and does nothing for everyone else? That's not right. He goes, well, let's, as a group, describe our best employees. And that was the very first time this question was asked. So that group spent over 30 minutes listing qualities. Then there was a senior vice president of HR, and she stopped it, and she said, listen, now we're splitting hairs. Those two words mean exactly the same thing. What we should do next is put the similar qualities in the same bucket, see how many buckets we come up with. So that's what they started to do next, and they only came up with three buckets. I'm going to share with you the three buckets and remind you parents and grandparents that these things are probably not being taught to your kids in school. So the home needs to be the classroom for these things. And the first set of qualities that that executive group all agreed on was that their best employees accepted 100% responsibility. They held themselves accountable. They owned not only achieving their goals, but overcoming the challenges that were in their way. You think about personal responsibility, you think about accountability, how do you instill it? And by the way, if you're a leader, how do you remove excuses? How do you create a culture where there are no excuses? It's all tied to this. You know, personal responsibility is the foundation of the best. The actual bedrock foundation of being the best.
0: Hey guys, one more thing before you take off. This is Motivational Intelligence Insider. It's just a very short, exclusive email uh, every Monday that comes from Dave, John, and the guests on this show. Uh, This is the only place they share their very, very best stuff, and it's delivered right to your inbox every single Monday. Uh, this could include exclusive tips for upping your game, uh, articles they're reading, videos they're watching, stories from the road, and on and on. It's the best way to kick off your week, and this content is uh, comes directly from Dave, John, and the guests, and is only available to subscribers of Motivational Intelligence Insider. So if you want these guys in Galaxy email you their best stuff, go to 2Logical.com forward slash insider. That's the number 2logical.com forward slash insider and drop in your email. And if you do, I hope you enjoy. The
1: Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at Two Logical. 2Logical is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. 2Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Provisor, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs or just want to say hey, head over to 2logical.com.